And today we learn from Malaysian officials the potential critical importance of that last radio transmission from the plane to air traffic control. All right, good night, said someone in the cockpit. Could only four words provide clues to help unlock the case? Do you believe that the person who said, all right, good night, in the cockpit was the pilot or the co-pilot? Uh, initial investigation uh, indicated it was the co-pilot uh, who, who basically spoke the last time uh, it was recorded on tape. What have you found? Have you analyzed it for stress? Um, that, is, that is part of our investigation. When the red-eye flight known as MH370 took off in the early morning hours of March 8, 2014, nothing was out of the ordinary. Nothing at all could have pointed to the disaster that was about to happen and how it would ripple throughout the world. The Boeing 777 disappeared off the face of the earth, and here we are over six years later and still no clue as to what happened. It has been called the greatest aviation mystery since Amelia Earhart. It's led search teams north into China and south into the wild Indian Ocean and costed over $180 million. Many have theorized terrorists, aliens, or even mass murder suicide by the pilot. Is this the deadliest mass murder in aviation history? Or just a misunderstanding? I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. Okay, so you guys know me by now. I like to give you the bones up front so we can get to the juicy meat of speculation later, right? All right, so the infamous flight of MH370 took off from Kuala Lumpur Airport in Malaysia, destined for Beijing, China. It was a routine flight that was taken multiple times a day. The trip on a normal day was just short of six hours. The plane's route was almost a straight flight north across the island of Malaysia, then Vietnam, and into China. Now, over the Indian Ocean between Malaysia and Vietnam was an area where the plane would end contact with Malaysian towers and make contact with Vietnam's air traffic control. MH370's pilot made a route check-in with Kuala Lumpur's tower, and his last recorded words were a simple, Good night, Malaysian, 370. Then it was gone. The plane never showed up on Vietnam's radar, and its transponder controls were turned off by someone at 1.19 a.m., just before entering Vietnam airspace. It literally vanished. MH370 was flying just outside Malaysian Tower's radar range, and it was doing it in complete silence. But Malaysian military and civilian radars started tracking the plane and witnessed the next few strange and bizarre steps that it took. However, the first wave of search and rescue did not find this out immediately, and they were sent out to the South China Sea to search for the plane over the original flight path. For a week, Malaysian search efforts were being wasted, looking in the wrong spot for the plane. But eventually, 
After a crucial 10 days, the search was moved to the Indian Ocean. Why? It was revealed that the plane had unexpectedly taken a hard left and headed west back over Malaysia via the Malay Peninsula, then turned northwest over the Strait of Malacca. But the plane was eventually lost over the Andaman Sea. Then, accordingly to, according to a satellite observation at the time, the plane was located over the Indian Ocean until of about 8.11 a.m. Analysis gave authorities a very large and seemingly impossible surge area based on the calculations showing how long the plane could have flown on the available fuel. However, these calculations have been disputed many times, with many experts believing the plane could be much further out if the pilot had been controlling it. So it boils down to whether the pilot put the autopilot on and just let the plane fly until it plummeted to the sea after running out of fuel, or the other scenario is that he stayed at the helm until the plane hit the water, gliding it onto the top of the ocean before it sank. If the latter is the case, experts say the pilot would have dropped the plane low enough to conserve fuel and make it thousands of more miles out than the original search area. The chilling silence of the MH370 is another haunting mystery. By 2014, the world had seen its share of plane hijackings, and we had also seen or heard those eerie last words sent from those on board. But the MH370, it was different. After going off-route, which someone was sure to notice, everything goes quiet. No calls, text, messages, nothing sent at all from any of the passengers or crew. The 777 aircraft flew over seven hours without so much as an SOS sent out. Not a single pinged cell phone. Nothing. The even more disturbing part is what that means for the fate of those 370 on board. Most believe at that late at night, most of the passengers would have already been asleep. But more sinisterly is the theory that someone depressurized the cabin of the plane. What that means is that he basically removed the oxygen from the plane's cabin, killing everyone. If the pressure in a plane is lost suddenly, oxygen masks will drop from overhead, but they only assist with breathing for a few minutes, and then the passenger would eventually pass. However, if the cabin had been depressurized slowly, it is more likely that most of the passengers didn't even notice, as they would have just felt woozy and slowly slipped into unconsciousness. Either way, it kept all passengers and crew from contacting anyone. There was no call for help, no mayday sent, no attempt to contact anyone. They were all just gone. So that's it, right? That's all we know definitely of the MH370 flight plan. It is really an endless possibility as to where 370 could have gone. And I was going to put in a uh, needle in the haystack reference here, but I think a plane lost in our great oceans is quite discouraging enough, don't you think? All right, so let's get into some investigations here. So initial investigations were focused on terrorist and mechanical issues, obviously. No airline wants to admit their pilot has done something this horrific, right? But after finding no evidence of either, and with the evidence stacking up, it looked more and more likely 
that this was an inside job, that one of the people inside the plane was the one indeed behind the disappearance. The most likely suspect was the plane's own pilot and co-pilot, as the plane had been flown for hours by someone with experience, someone who knew how the plane and surrounding radar towers and the procedures all worked together. They knew how to input a course into autopilot, how and where to fly off radar. It all pointed to someone with aviation experience. 53-year-old Captain Zahari Ahmad Shah was no stranger to the cockpit. He was a veteran pilot with Malaysia Airlines, as he had been employed by them for 33 years. He had logged almost 20,000 hours of flight time, which included 8,000 of those hours on the exact same model plane as the MH370, which was the American-made Boeing 777-200. He appeared to have a passion for flying. He enjoyed flying model airplanes when he wasn't in a real one, and he even built his own flight simulator at his house. Other pilots and employees that knew him deny any thought that Shaw could have been the one who made the MH370 disappear. Malaysia also still has never named Captain Shaw as the culprit and still defends his innocence, until evidence proves otherwise. Australian authorities did reveal that a route that was very similar to the one flown that night was on Captain Shaw's home simulator. It runs the scenario of the plane flying over the Indian Ocean until it runs out of gas, at which point it then plunges into the water. However, I must point out that this is just one scenario out of thousands found on that home setup. So on March 24th, 2014, the Prime Minister of Malaysia announced a decision on the investigation of the missing flight. He said, based on the evidence, it was concluded as most likely that the plane went down somewhere in the Indian Ocean, southwest of Australia, and that it was highly unlikely that there were any survivors. Larry Vance, a former pilot himself, who is also an aircraft investigator, believes that the MH370 was being controlled all the way into the water. And the most possible suspect is Captain Zahari Ahmad Shah, of course. Vance believes, with the small bits of information we have, and the things we know about MH370, there is no other possible outcome but a, quote, controlled ditching. On April 6th, an Australian ship picked up pings about 2,000 miles northwest of Perth, Australia. They were believed to be coming from MH370's voice recorder, known as the Black Box. The last ping came on April 8th at 8.19 a.m. It is concluded that the battery died at this point. The box only had a battery life of 30 to 48 hours. Of course, searches of the ocean floor were done using submarines, and radar, but no signs of the crash were ever found. Then, strangely, later on, the pings that were heard were also suspected to have come from faulty wiring. That was found in a later investigation, which I also find strange. For a few reasons. One being, why do you need to explain that? Why do you need to explain where the pings came from? That seems odd, right? You start thinking about that. Why, did, why is that a big deal? Because if the pings are being made and the location is identified from said ping, 
no matter what causes that ping, then what does it matter that the cause is the faulty wiring? Does that make sense? Because when this faulty wiring causes the ping, the plane is still where it is. It's wherever it is, in the sky, in the ocean, whatever it is, when that wiring goes off. So I think the only way it could lead you astray, I guess, is if that black box was somehow slung from the plane or dropped earlier. Which, I guess, potentially it could have been like cut out, but then wouldn't it lose power? I don't know. I'm just speculating here. I don't know shit. Not a pilot. Just wanted to throw some of that stuff out there for discussion. So let's get into some solid things that were found. Literally solid things, like debris. The first piece of debris was found July 29th, 2015, on a small French island off the coast of Madagascar, on the opposite side of the Indian Ocean. Ocean current experts agree unanimously that if the MH370 had crashed in the South Indian Ocean off the coast of Australia, that it is very likely for debris to end up on that island. The piece that was found was a mere six feet section of the plane's wing, known as a flapperon. It's used to help stabilize the plane at low speed flight, like during takeoff or landing. The piece was mostly intact. The front of the flap was almost pristine, but the back was broken like a jagged edge with various sea life which was now attached to it. The fact that the piece was mostly intact suggests that the most likely scenario is indeed controlled ditching, which, if you're not very good at context clues, is basically crashing the plane gently. Experts argue that if a plane had dove into the water at a high rate of speed, after running out of fuel, the piece would have been completely destroyed. However, there were two other pieces that were confirmed to have come from the MH370 that washed up on the coast of Africa. These pieces suggested that the plane did indeed impact the water at a high rate of speed. So what are you going to do? Here we go, canceling things out, right? Then why even bring us this information, Michael? You give us one thing and you give us the other, you're keeping a, a level seesaw here, no one's having fun, right? All right, relax, relax. I'm going to get you all caught up to where we are today, okay? So the search for flight MH370 was eventually called off in January of 2017. It was a hard decision, but it was made jointly by the Malaysian, Australian, and Chinese governments. And in July of 2018, the Malaysian government issued its final report in which it stated that the mechanical failure seems unlikely the cause, but never officially placed blame. Its stance was that the change in the flight plan was likely due to manual input, but never called anyone a suspect and never determined the cause of the disappearance. And now everyone who knows this story and has just listened to this is staring at Captain Shaw, right? Just staring at him, like, figuratively. How could you have done it, bro? How could you have done it? Right? <laughs> I know, I know. It's, but why, though? Why? That's the question. Even if the captain did it, the co-pilot did it. Um, you know, the clip that you heard at the beginning, the, the last words of the pilot, there's a video on YouTube that is the entire um, back and forth between every single tower. It's basically just them saying good morning and good night to each other and stuff. Like, for just checking in, basically. And he says good night at the end. And now what, they're, what they say they're doing is that second voice that said it for the second time. They're saying, that's the co-pilot. 
and they're trying to test that little segment to see if he had any stress in his voice. Maybe if he's got a little stress, maybe we'll know that he was concerned or worried or on edge because he was planning something like, I don't know, killing 370 people. I don't know. Or could have been hijacked. But the thing about hijacking planes is, I mean, I may be wrong, but I... I think it's very difficult to be an experienced hijacker. I mean, let's say you're an experienced hijacker. How many have you done successfully? How many planes you hijacked? One? Two? I mean, planes are different, right? There's a lot of damn planes out there. How could you have possibly known how to depressurize the cabin? Or, or I don't know, maybe they went around, maybe the hijackers went around, collected cell phones, but then they just all crashed into the ocean, though, right? I don't know. I don't know. This This case... Drives me insane. So um, I know what we can do. Let's, since I'm just rambling anyway, let's jump over here to the Lauren synopsis and let's see what Lauren's got to say. And uh, we'll regroup. I got another, I got another theory for you that I found on the interwebs that I'd like to share. So uh, we'll do that after Lauren's synopsis. Here we go. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren's synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren's synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren's synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here, here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained, the very tragic disappearance of Malaysia Airline Flight 370, which on March 8th of 2014 took off on a five-and-a-half-hour flight, what was supposed to be a five-and-a-half-hour flight from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing. Um, and, and this should have been a very routine flight. There was no weather issues. There was a very experienced pilot at the helm who had over 30 years of flying and 18 hour, 18,000 hours of flight experience. Um, however, this, you know, what was supposed to be just a routine flight, um, something that this airline does twice a day from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing, never made it to its destination. It made a turn and another turn and started heading south for some reason, according to uh, GPS tracking, and uh, apparently went down in the ocean after running out of gas. Very bizarre. They only had correspondence with the people um, in the cockpit for about 37 minutes before they lost contact with the people on the plane. That doesn't mean that they didn't know where the plane was going at that point. Um, so about 37 minutes after the plane took off, they had a correspondence with the pilots. Um, and then three minutes later, the plane disappeared from all radars. There was few clouds, no storms. The transponder, um, they believe, was manually turned off from within the plane, which I believe you believe that this plane was either hijacked or there was something going on with the crew uh, the pilot, there's a lot of talk that maybe the pilot was suicidal um, and, and decided to take a bunch of people out with him. However, all the investigating that's been done since into the background of the pilot and all the people on the, on the plane, all the crew and all the passengers have all been um, deeply looked into, um, you know, to see if maybe there was something that happened on this plane, if there was any kind of signs as to mental instability within the, you know, the cockpit, the, the crew, the, the, the pilot, the co-pilot and all everybody on the plane that could have had access to these things and nothing was found. 
as far as, you know, any kind of motive. There was no suicide note if this was indeed a suicide. Um, so, yeah, yeah, the plane, um, according to radar, takes a turn um, off of its path, um, starts heading west, and then turns and starts heading south and is heading into the Indian Ocean um, to where there's just nothing but open ocean. I mean, there's nothing down there. And they get to this point of no return where they go so far south that it's likely they wouldn't have even been able to make it back if they wanted to. But the plane seems to be not... Uh, making any more maneuvers, which would uh, so there's some speculation that potentially there could have been some sort of a decompression event within the plane, maybe a fire within the plane, um, and the pressure changes on a in a decompression event when you're flying at you know thirty thousand feet or higher, um, it would have resulted in everyone on the plane being knocked unconscious, and then the plane could have continued to fly south um, into the Indian Ocean until it ran out of gas, and then it would have um, obviously nosedived into the ocean at that point. Um, so they, they do searches, uh, the, basically the last known location. So they lose radar, um, within the countries. And then they, so the military starts tracking the plane's movements by radar. They lose that around, uh, 2.22 AM. However, satellites were able to track the plane's path from there. So they kept getting new ways of tracking where this plane was headed, and the uh, satellites were tracking it on a southward path through the Indian Ocean down off the western coast of Australia. Um, and it's going on this path for like five hours. And it's inevitable it's going to run out of gas at some point. Um, and by 8 a.m., you know, that would have been like s over seven hours after the plane took off. Uh, search and rescue teams had been uh, sent out to try and locate the plane Sometime late in the 8 a.m. hour, over seven hours after takeoff, the plane stopped transmitting to his satellites and appears to have run out of gas at that point. So it, it seems as though, you know, hopes of this plane f flying back and landing anywhere are lost. But potentially, if they can find the plane quick enough, they might be able to find some survivors. Um, unfortunately, that's not how it went down. Um, investigators believe the plane went down in the Indian Ocean far off the west coast of Australia, basically in a giant section of ocean where... There's no land for miles and miles and miles. Um, 19 ships and many planes searched the Indian Ocean, an area larger than India, and found nothing. Over a year later is when they finally had any sort of a, a clue as to, you know, what may have happened. A wing flapperon, which is uh, one, of the, one of the little flaps on the wings of the plane that go up and down to kind of control its uh, altitude, I believe. Um, one of those was found in July of 2015 on the island of Reunion off the African coast, very far from where they think the plane went down. It, it drifted very far west um, through the ocean currents. And the piece after the inspection proved that the plane had entered the ocean in a vertical dive, which is just terrifying. And you hope that, as I mentioned earlier, that there was some sort of a, a you know, a decompression event within the plane and everyone was knocked out before that because, God, that's just such a scary few hours of your life if you indeed know your doom is coming for that long and then you know the plane you're on nose dives into the ocean and that's the end um and tragically like that's the, all that's ever been found is just that that wing flapper on that one item from the plane they've done searches there's even after even after the countries gave up searching for this plane um in 2017 of Janu january of 2017 the countries involved stopped searching for the plane um and private companies started going out and trying to find it. They had no luck either. Um, and after By January of 2017, they gave up the search because it had costed $155 million, 
which was the most expensive search in aviation history, and they got nothing to show for it. That's just how big and vast the ocean is, um, that it can just swallow things up like that and maybe spit out one little thing. To, it, the, the confirmation that everyone on that plane is gone um, was, for me, them finding that, that piece of the wing you know, a year later. Um, and now the, the, what happened is the question, though. How did it happen? The result, I think we all know, is tragic that everyone aboard died. Um, but why did it happen? It didn't have to happen clearly. Um, I don't think it was a, it's pretty clear that it wasn't like a plane malfunction. It wasn't a mechanical thing. It was human, there was a human element to it. Someone decided to either hijack this plane. Um, the plane didn't just turn off course and go start going south on its own, you know. Um, there was talk that maybe it was that the computer's devices on the on the uh, plane were um, picked up and and uh, someone was controlling the plane remotely and that was squashed by the the maker of the plane that said that it would be impossible um, there's been talk of possible um, two men that were aboard uh, that were Iranian men that they had possibly hijacked the plane because they had bought fake passports however after further investigation the investigators concluded they were just um, seeking asylum from the country they were they were trying to get out of Iran so they they were able to get a hold of fake passports and they were trying to flee um, and they had no experience when it comes to flying a plane, would have not had any idea on how to do any of the things that happened, like the transponder being shut down like 40 minutes off of takeoff time. That was very bizarre and would kind of lead you to believe that maybe someone that knew or someone potentially in the crew, the flight crew, could have done that. Um, there's, I know Australian authorities have pointed the finger at the pilot and said that this was potentially a suicide in that, the, you know, the pilot wanted to kill himself and wanted to take a bunch of people out with him, which just doesn't, to me, make a whole lot of sense. Usually when someone commits suicides, there's signs prior, not always, but often, and there's some sort of a, you know, a note or a message that goes out as to why they're doing so, especially when they take out a bunch of people like that. And there would be some signs. I mean, some of the there were several countries involved in this because there were so many different countries, um, civilians aboard. There was like five different countries, civilians. There was a few Americans on there. You know, a lot of people from uh, China, I believe, India. Um, anyways, all these authorities from these different countries looked into the backgrounds of everyone in, on the plane, the passengers, the crew, everyone, and, and didn't find anything suspicious. You know, if, if you had a pilot that was either, you know, doing some sort of a terrorist act or was suicidal, wanted to kill a bunch of people like that. I, I just find it hard to believe they wouldn't be able to find something after digging into all of his, you know, private life and all that stuff and interviewing a bunch of people, you wouldn't find something. But there's no other, no other explanation other than a human element here. Someone on that plane did this, in my opinion. Who? I, I don't think we'll ever know. I mean, if we, if we would know by now or have some sort of a clue, there'd be some sort of um, motive pointed to by, you know, authorities would have found something in someone's background and been able to point to it. I just don't know. And I, I just feel terrible for all of the people that were taken for this death ride, um, for lack of a better term, you know, so like 227 people, if how many of them were behind what happened, probably less than a handful at most, maybe even one person did this. I don't know. But, you know, so at least 220 something people perished and and may have had a very horrific last few hours of their life if they knew what was coming if they were very aware that this plane was going to go down much like 9-11 which we actually just passed the 19th anniversary of 
um, very, very just as such a, it's hard to even comprehend what must be going through their mind. And if, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the phone calls from people aboard the planes um, that, that crashed into the Twin Towers, the audio, it can be found on YouTube and whatnot, and it's it's hard to listen to, but man, it just, it, it really puts in your head how tragic, how tragic that was and the, for all the family members and everyone involved. And, um, and this is very similar. I, I do think that someone aboard that plane did this. Um, I don't know why. I don't know who, and I don't know if we'll ever know. Um, I do think the crew would have had an upper hand as far as uh, pulling this off. It, if I, yeah, I would look a little harder at the crew if I were investigators, and I'm sure they have, but it seems as though they haven't really found any concrete evidence as to who did this, and I don't think they ever will. The further we get from it, the harder it is going to be to find anything. So that's my thoughts. Very tragic. Um, fascinating. I'd never really dug into the, to exactly what happened. I'd obviously heard about it um, at the time, and it kind of went by, and I forgot about it, and it was interesting looking into it, and I, I guess I didn't realize that nothing has ever really been found other than just that piece of that wing. It's pretty crazy. So, yeah, that's my thoughts. Hope you guys enjoyed it. See you next week. All right, Lauren. Thank you, as always, for that wonderful synopsis. So you're blaming the crew. Okay. Wow. Blaming the crew. So the crew depressurized the cabins, killed everyone. The crew, together, all decided to kill everyone. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just fucking with you, Lauren. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, I mean, the crew could have absolutely been on it. For all we know, their bodies aren't in the ocean. How you know they didn't plan to kill all these people and fake their own deaths and start their lives off somewhere else. They're tired of being flight attendants and pilots, and they're going to start their new life in Madagascar or somewhere, Right? Well, I don't know. This is theories. This is the theory part of the show, okay? Jeez, you ain't gotta be so gotta be so harsh on me. But no. So we wanna know realistic theories, right? That's what we're all interested in. Well, I dug really, really, really deep on the internet by going to Reddit and I typed in realistic theories about MH370. I know <laughs> my my research tactics are are unmatched, but that's what I did. And guess what? Lo and behold, there's a post called Realistic Theories About MH370 Disappearance. It's posted by uh, T-L-H-I-N-G-A-N underscore two. Uh, uh, T-L-H-I-N-G-A-N. I-N-G-A-N. Yeah. So it goes as follows. Pretty interesting uh, theory here. Okay, I got a few questions and we'll go over it after I get all this out, right? Okay, so here we go. Says, I've always been fascinated about plane crash investigations, such as Egypt Air 970, Swiss Air 111, and now MH370. I've been following this from very early on, and like everybody here, I've heard and read a lot of BS about it. And until we have a wreckage to inspect, we won't really know what happened. Here's, in a nutshell, what I think is the most plausible explanation of events that is consistent with known facts. Okay, I being the person in this post, uh, TLH Ingen. All right, number one. MH370 was carrying a commercial load of lithium batteries. The cargo manifest says so. Um, and just going to break from the article here. There is no source uh, 
going to the article manifest, uh, I mean, or article going to the manifest, or anything like that to prove this, but I guess we'll just have to take their word for it. Number two, MH370 was carrying a lot more of these lithium batteries than the cargo manifest declares. In parentheses, the weight of the batteries doesn't add up to the weight of the cargo container. Okay, number three, the lithium batteries caught fire. This is why flying them is highly restricted. Also, why the cargo manifest doesn't reflect the correct weight of them, because it would have been illegal. So the fire, number four, the fire crippled the plane's avionics and because they are near the cargo hold. The crew attempted to divert to a nearby airport. That's what all those sudden and abrupt turns and altitude changes are about. And they were even lined up with a non-commercial airport that is suitable for landing that aircraft just before they turned south. The crew realized they couldn't make the landing, either because the avionics were too crippled and the crew itself was getting incapacitated by the fire. In order to avoid crashing into a populated area, the crew quickly set the autopilot to take the plane away from populated places. And the last point they make is the MH370 continued on autopilot until fuel exhaustion. Okay, the only issue I have with this is that no cell phone calls or requests for help or text messages or emails or anything was sent from anybody on the plane. So if a fire, well, I mean, I guess would you have, you would have no signal if the plane's electronics went down? Is the plane, wow, I feel really dumb for not knowing this, but is the plane the source of the Wi-Fi for your phone and your, and your connectivity, right? Because you can't, I guess you can make Wi-Fi calls on a plane during a certain time, but can you make regular calls? So I guess if I guess what it's saying is that it destroyed all of the internet connectability signal sending shit on the plane, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And the fire the fire destroyed all of that so quickly because it started near it, because that's where the batteries were, allegedly. And then they basically knew they were going down once so much of the plane was on fire. Oh my God, what a horrible way to go. Also, if the plane is on fire on the inside, especially a fire as strong as, I guess, a lithium battery fire, I feel like that would be more of an explosion at times. Um, wouldn't someone see that? Wouldn't that show up? Wouldn't that show a little more, little more action on the radar? They talk about how, how silent the plane flew. Um, those are just some of the questions that I have, but I mean, it's worth some thought at least, right? It's bringing you something else, another, another point of view, another perspective. So, uh, that's my, that's my thought. There's a, there's actually a funny one on here on Reddit real quick. Uh, this is someone who left a comment and they said, uh, this is posted by Ponewood, P-O- P-O-N-E, wood, W-O-O-D, okay? This was also posted two years ago. But it says, personally, I like the Three Stooges explanation. One, pilot one gets up to take a leak. Two, pilot two continues flying. Three, 
Pilot 1 returns. While entering the cabin to sit down, Pilot 1 trips and falls into Pilot 2, crashing to the flight controls and severely hurting himself and a bunch of the switches. Pilot 2 sets the plane on autopilot, opens the door, and gets the flight attendant's attention. Pilot uh, number 5. Pilot 2 and the flight attendant drag Pilot 1 out of the cockpit and click. The door closes behind them. People try to open the cockpit door for half a day before it runs out of gas and crashes somewhere in the Sisio. I guess that's South Indian Ocean. And then they ended it with LOL. <laughs> I like it. I like that. I also like how it said um, that uh, Pilot 2, when he comes back, he falls and crashes into the flight controls, severely hurting himself and a bunch of the switches. He's hurt a bunch of the switches, so we're all doomed now. All these switches are broken and stuff. So I guess we're just going to crash into the ocean, guys. No, but, but but they got trapped out of the cockpit, right? Like they don't have a key. They don't have like a like a security code. They don't have a badge they can scan to get right back in there. Either way, this theory is fun. Shit, could have it could have just as well happened as much as anything else. But surely then people would be sending messages, right? So that kind of the the messages thing, right? The complete silence of the plane, not sending anything, nothing, no cell phones pinging in the plane, none of that shit. Like that is what makes it so creepy. That is what makes it so eerie, and it really cuts down on a lot of the speculation. A lot, right? Now, this battery thing, maybe. But more likely, um, this had human interference. Somebody, like Lauren said, somebody on board was involved. But if anything new comes out, you guys find out something new. Um, you know, there's the internet is a huge place. The world's a big place. Maybe you've heard heard something else. You've heard this, heard that, whatever. Hey, hit me up. Hit me up. Email me at sandupodcast at gmail.com. We'll continue the conversation. Or maybe I'll talk about it on Patreon in a strange short. All right? Patreon, you may be asking, hey, Michael, wait a minute. Well, why are you talking about Patreon? What the hell is that? Well, patreon.com slash podcast, And you get, well, for one, you get to support this podcast right? That you obviously like listening to. You've made it this far. And number two, you get early access to all of these episodes. They are released on Thursdays, most of the time, instead of Mondays. Okay. Also, you get access to two other shows I do. One being Strange Shorts, which I just mentioned, and then one being the Palette Cleanser podcast. Okay. Trying to be very diligent about getting those out. I think there's about six or seven episodes of each of those two shows out right now. And counting. Trying to do a new one every week, guys. Um, haven't been as diligent with that as I'd like to be, but that's going to change. Okay? I'm working real hard with this podcast and with True Crime Guys to bring consistent audio entertainment and audio fun. Okay? But anyways, that's patreon.com slash podcast. Three bucks a month gets you access to all that stuff. Five bucks a month gets you access to all that stuff. Plus uh, an exclusive Strange and Unexplained Patreon sticker, which is basically the Patreon... I mean, which is basically the podcast logo. I'm, I'm holding it right now. It's right here in this crinkling of this bag. I have a, a pack of the stickers right here. And because uh, apparently I have to look at them in front of my face or I can't remember what they look like. But it's um, basically the Strange and Unexplained logo, but it's at nighttime... 
and then you still have the clouds, and in the clouds it says True Crime Guys Production, but it's almost like a watermark. It's very, it's very slight, okay? A little tongue-in-cheek there. We slid that in there. But you get all that for being a patron member, um, just like Valerie P. Valerie P. signed up this week. Valerie, I want to thank you very, very much. She signed up at the $5 level, and you will be getting your Strange and Unexplained sticker in the mail very, very soon, unless uh, they keep defunding the post office. And in that case, that's that's really not good. Who knows, right? Packages have been taking a while to get places, so be patient. But um, something something as small as a sticker, I don't think you should have too much of a problem. So anyways, that's my spill about Patreon. Guys, if you can't afford to uh, support the show in that way, no big deal. Just being a subscriber, listening every week is huge. Commenting, sharing on social media. Give us a follow, at Sandu Podcast on uh, Instagram, especially. Instagram's my favorite. Okay, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, we are on all of those things. Leave a review on your podcast app, player, iTunes, whatever the hell you're listening on. I don't know why you can't review on Spotify. I really wish that was a thing. But either way, uh, review if you can. If not, whatever, no big deal. Post about on social media. That helps the same way, right? Maybe more, actually. I think probably more people will see your social media post than they would a review that you leave. But anyways, a review will get you a shout-out, okay? Hey, hey, not knocking reviews. Uh, Just like my review from Canada. I love getting reviews from Canada. Who am I kidding? I like getting reviews, period. But I got a new one from Canada, and it's by Wispy White. Wispy White left a five-star review and said, Enjoying this podcast so much. I appreciate that so freaking much, okay? So thank you very much, Wispy White. Also, got a couple reviews from Ola America. Uh, let's see. Val Panda left a five-star review. Said, I can't get the Lauren Synopsis song out of my head. I'm hoping the Palette Cleanser podcast will help with this. Plus, I want a sticker. Excellent review. Sweet, to the point. Even left some little Easter eggs in there about the Sandu podcast. I like that. I like that a lot. Also got another one from at Patsy730. Says, five stars says, awesome, love this podcast, very nicely done, really enjoy Michael's conversational style. I find myself chiming in while I listen. Oh, thanks, Patty, but don't interrupt, okay? I got a podcast to do here. Kidding, kidding. This is totally what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to feel like you're talking to me. You know, I feel like I'm talking to you, right? It's only fair. I didn't hear that, what did you say? I'm kidding. (laughs) All right, guys, uh, that's the show. That is the show on Flight 370, okay? I, I'm i sure most of you have heard about this. You've heard about missing flights. There there are some weird things, and a lot of them start to run together. Uh, but this is the one that is the most unexplained to me, okay? there's But there's a lot of things now, I think, at this point, where people are really starting to narrow it down. But consider the battery thing, okay? Consider the battery thing. Anyways, all right, guys. I will see you next week with a brand new Strange and Unexplained. So until then, be strange, just don't be a stranger.